now your beautiful voice is being recorded for all the world to hear as long as my words don't get cut out. <laughs> this is true. I think more importantly, your laugh is recorded for all the world to hear. Yet again. <laughs> so, follow-up. Yes, we have a lot of follow-up today. It's a busy time of year with the Christmas season approaching, but I don't think any of the follow-up has anything to do with that. It just has to do with random things <laughs> that I have found over the past month or so. I, I, I've been getting plenty of Christmas stuff, so I, I don't mind a little not Christmas stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Need a little break from the season. Anywho, so the first thing I want to bring up is, remember last time we talked about how eventually I'm going to start taking all of your voice data and your laughing recordings <sighs> and try and make a AI? No. Well, you didn't. <laughs> I didn't, but <laughs> what I was able to do was find a site oh. that could do my voice because you have to record specific phrases for it. Okay, yeah. And it's pretty awful <laughs> right now. <laughs> really? So what I want you to do is open that link I sent you and play that okay, uh, okay. Gonna... recording. Oops. Uh, this button and then this button. Hi, Aaron. This is David's voice as recorded by a robot. Have a great day, my friend. I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not good, though. <laughs> right, yeah. It is definitely not without flaws. Right. Just like just like Pacific Rim. Like, not without flaws, but still not too bad, you know? <laughs> I would argue Pacific Rim is much better in movie terms than this is in terms of AI. That's fair. That's fair. It was it was a lot more fun and exciting. I mean, see, the, if you took this and you, like, showed it to somebody from, like, I don't know, like, 30, 40 years ago, they'd be tripping. True. <laughs> they'd be like, whoa, this sounds exactly like you. Yeah. Or, or something like that. Dang, that's really weird. I'll have to try that. Do you have the link to make so, it do mine? It's just a website called resemble.ai. And you can do like five recordings free or something like that. But the thing that's interesting to me and it makes me sad is that I've read papers that are actually higher quality than this. Okay. But the problem is, is especially with deep learning, the thing that's bleeding edge is often like five years from production. So this website's probably been around for a year or so, and it's using an algorithm from two years ago or three years ago. And so the the new results we're getting are way better than this, but it just made me really sad because like, ah, oh, I can finally do something with this stuff. But it's like, oh, this is the paper from a couple of years back that had the terrible results, <laughs> not the newest ones. Right, right. It's not the, not the latest and the greatest. It's It's not the bleeding edge of technology. Right, and so three years from now, we'll have a website that does what's doing right now in the bleeding edge, and then hopefully that will be <laughs> right, able to get your laugh down a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know if they'll ever be able to get that down, but... <laughs> That's true. It may not be learnable. It may be completely beyond technological right. capabilities. Precisely, David, precisely. <laughs> like, it can record it and use the recording, but can it actually laugh? I don't think so. That does bring up a good point. I've seen a lot of papers on copying voices, 
But a lot of times they're like speaking pretty monotone. Okay. There hasn't been a lot on like recording or reconstructing laughs and emotions. Right. That's a really hard part to get down is how does a person use their emotions when they're talking? Because usually it's just some person reading a passage and it's completely monotone. They don't change their pitch or anything like that. Right, right. It's a pretty important part of human voice if you think about it. You think would there be more on that? Right. In in very small bits, it would be undetectable. But if you ever had to like run more than a few seconds of speech, it would become very obvious very quickly that it's like, this person isn't sounding right. <laughs> this person doesn't sound real anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like I speed up a lot sometimes when I talk about certain things. And so it's like, it would speed up in the wrong places is what I'd bet. It's kind of yeah. like those, uh, oh, have you seen those uh, those books that are written, the book chapters that are written by AI? I've heard about those. I haven't looked up anyone specifically. They are so funny because it gets like pretty much, it gets like structure and words mostly correct, but totally nonsense words. Let me see. <laughs> I actually think I might have the link. Like it's just, it's crazy nonsense. I had a friend that showed me a chapter of Harry Potter written by an ai that was oh. really funny i'll have to see if i can find that one yeah i think that's the one that i that i've seen and it's so funny because it gets <laughs> it, it really does it like it understands some part of language but like other parts it doesn't it's really bad at context too yeah yeah remembering what characters were doing and what traits they have etc it's like this skill that you don't realize people have until you try to make a computer do it and you're <laughs> yeah. like oh Shoot, I'm doing a lot of things when I do this, when I when I write a story, when I tell a story. It's you're building this whole imaginary world and creation and trying to keep everything straight and within the bounds of some kind of rules that you've created and right. and then like a computer's just like, "Well, I saw most of that, so let's try it." And then <laughs> yeah. and then it comes out with <laughs> You really take for granted your capabilities as a human until you try and teach it to a computer. I had one more that you might be interested in. Okay. I actually heard this just yesterday. My friend was telling me there's this this app or website. I haven't looked it up specifically, but it's called AI Dungeon. Mm-hmm. It's like a Dungeons and Dragons choose your own adventure type story that's completely generated from an AI. So as you're going through this story, it you you put in text as input. It tries to figure out what that means uh-huh. and then makes the next part of the story based on your input. So you come to a fork in the road, and there's this on this side, and there's a dragon on the other side. What do you do? And you just give it some general description and tries to figure out the rest of the story based on what you chose for your actions. Huh. That is really weird. <laughs> yeah. I, again, it's still not very powerful, but my friend said it is pretty interesting. The results are relatively decent. It has some understanding of fantasy-type worlds. And what a dragon right. is, and what an arrow is, and what your different weapons are, etc. So he said it's pretty huh. interesting. So I'll have to try and find a link to that as well. Yeah. I mean, I'd be really interested to know if like it's constantly feeding the information back in. Like, if it has some way to every instance of a game, it takes that instance and also reapplies it to the understanding algorithm or whatever to understand what's going on. Is it really, like... I wonder if it's, like, still learning, you know? Right. Does it get better over time? Right. Would my playing be a contribution, or is it just a thing to play with? Right. 
And I don't know. I just heard about it, so I thought I'd bring it up because I thought it was interesting. No, that's way cool. I'd be really interested in that. I think it is funny, too, kind of going back to your point of jumping back 40 years. Mm-hmm. Even just jumping back 15 years, 10 years, and telling them some of these algorithms that we have now, I think most computer scientists, and especially the general public, would just be freaking out with well, the, some, some <laughs> of the things that we have. Right. Yeah. For example, I'm in this, this AI reading group, this deep learning reading group, and okay. we were reading this paper, and the paper was about taking images with trees in it or buildings in it and taking a algorithm that generates pictures and removing parts of the network and the layers so you get rid of trees and get rid of buildings or put buildings in spots that weren't there, etc. Mm-hmm. And it was just funny because we're so used to seeing image synthesis problems in our study group. Yeah, We were just looking at it like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. Like those are some pretty decent results, but they have a lot of room to improve. And yeah, we're, we're taking trees in and out of pictures with code and all sorts of crazy things. But we're just so used to it at this point. We've seen so many papers like this. We're just going, yeah, yeah, that's some decent work. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> I would have I would have changed some things so that was more categories. Anyways, it, it just made me laugh. A couple of years ago, this would have been mind-blowing to automatically remove a whole tree from an image. Right, yeah. Just and to... put it in a different spot. You know. Anyways, it makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is that is hilarious. The, the way you just kind of take it for granted. You're just like, this is a cool thing that we do now. This is just what we do. Yeah. <laughs> and that was actually... That was actually... What was I? I was talking to... I was talking to my wife about it at some point recently. But it's just like bodies and the brain's ability to adapt is like easily the best thing in my mind the most evolutionary advantageous thing about like humans right because we adapt so quickly it's almost like like you take you take somebody who doesn't work out and you make them do push-ups their body gets really good at doing push-ups so good at doing push-ups that it actually stops being a workout after a while like if you don't right. change it up, like it'll just keep, it'll just, it'll figure out a way to do push-ups really easily and simply. And it's like the same with our brains, same with our experiences. It's like as soon as something, like something is new once, and then oftentimes after that, it becomes commonplace, and we we so easily take it all for granted. Right. Even though we live in like the most amazing time, <laughs> like that yeah. the Earth has ever seen. People, people like this is the best time to be alive by far. It's wonderful. Well, it reminds me of a quote that is one of my favorites. Um, I believe it's by an author named Alvin Topher or Toffler. But the quote goes: "the The illiterate of the twenty first century won't be those that can't read or write. It will be those that can't learn, then unlearn, then relearn." Oof. Oof. Oof, that's good. That, that like, ooh, that like almost brings a tear to my eye. That's that's beautiful. Right. I and I love that as a tech person because I've seen even programming when I was an undergrad, you know, seven years mm-hmm. ago, versus programming now has changed drastically. Right. When I was an undergrad student, they didn't even have deep learning yet, and so when I went back into the program, this was some big huge thing that everyone was doing now, and all these mm-hmm. new algorithms have come out. And just the way we program and programs that are coming out and the tools we have just change constantly. Yeah. And so that's something I emphasize to my students. Learning 
a technical skill for one time for one thing really isn't going to help you in life very much. Right. You have to learn how things are designed so as things change, you can change with them. Oh, man. That's like gold right there. Man, that's like gold. Because I, I feel the same way. Like, to take it in another direction, because, like, I do cabinets, right? And the thing that's valuable, like, in cabinetry is not is not solving the problem, but it's figuring out how to solve the problem. I don't even know how to say this. Like, it's like when you can understand what needs to happen, that's what matters more than just being able to solve, more than just being able to just do something, you know, because you can just do a lot of things, you know. I can attach this piece this way or I can do it this other way or we can use this tool or that tool. But it's it's when you start gaining like a, like, I don't even know how to say it, like this understanding of how the, how it works and what you're trying to accomplish. That's when right. like real true value is derived from the learning of making cabinets. Now, now it takes those skills, those actual skills are transferable into other things. Whereas the actual task itself not exactly transferable you know you can't you can't <laughs> it, it's not useful right but the solving of the skill was useful for later I, I totally agree it reminds me of a conversation i had with one of my ap physics students because he was complaining with comparison to the ap calculus class because he said in ap calculus we do the hardest problems possible in class then on the homework they'd have easier problems to help them understand and get to that level that they needed to be. But in my physics class, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I have to start at the root of the tree, right? The base and the foundation, the trunk of the tree, and teach them as much as I can about how to do physics. And then the homework is all the branches, different ways of looking at the problem, different problems that are asking for different things, different scenarios. And so he was complaining because he's like, we haven't seen any of this stuff. And I say, that's the point. You have to learn how to figure out these problems. I can't teach you every single possible problem you're ever going to run into. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. You have to learn the foundation and then learn how to solve for the other things you see. Yeah. Oh, that's, 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 oh, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, that sounds almost exactly like a thought and a feeling that I've had with, with learning to do cabinetry is that like, so I started with my uncle he would ask questions sometimes that really bothered me. He would ask a question of like, oh, how are you going to solve this? How are you going to fix this? <laughs> and me, you know, brand new, some teenager in high school, you know, I'm just, I'm looking at the problem and I'm going, well, I, I don't know. Like, I have no clue. And it would really frustrate me because I just had no clue at all. I finally come up with a solution, right? Oh, let's use this tool. And he goes... He goes, well, you could use this tool, but you could also use this tool that's designed for solving the problem that I have posed to you. And it's just like, why didn't you tell me that to start <laughs> with? Like, why didn't you start with the tool to solve the problem? But again, it's that, it's that theory of like, I was trying, I was critically thinking on how to actually solve this, this problem, this problem that exists. Mm -hmm. And it turns out there's a better solution already, which is what, what really frustrated me, but... <laughs> I, I'm grateful for learning those things and grateful for those. Those experiences were helpful to your overall ability as a cabinet maker. Yeah, yeah. Even though they were so, oh my gosh, so frustrating. <laughs> like, so frustrating. <laughs> Which is just how it is. 
So going back to your original point, yes, humans can adapt very quickly, which is amazing. But mm-hmm. also with that difficulty, if it's difficult for us to learn how to solve our own problems, imagine the difficulty in trying to teach a computer in general how to solve certain <laughs> scenarios. That's one of the hardest things is what they call transfer learning. Okay. We can teach a computer how to do one thing really, really well. But it's really hard to move that knowledge it gained into any other situation. Right. It can learn faces all day on humans. And then we try and teach it how to learn faces on dogs using the same information. And it is essentially is worthless. Because it can't right. take that same knowledge in any reasonable meaning to something else. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. But and even just going back to the voice problem. We can do pretty well right now of getting a voice that's monotone. Mm-hmm. You would think that means the same network and same information would make it easy to learn how to get the emotion and pitch of people's voices. But it doesn't. It doesn't transfer. Right. That's still the great issue of our time. <laughs> yes, the great <laughs> issue that you, my friend, are researching. <laughs> I mean, not that one specifically, but like <laughs> you're on the forefront of human knowledge, my friend. I, I'm on the bleeding edge, but I'm holding on with all my fingers barely dragging as it moves forward <laughs> trying to keep up but right <laughs> just just imagine a, a jet and i'm on the wing mm-hmm. holding on as it flies through the air <laughs> that's the bleeding edge i'm trying to hold on to that's amazing oh i can't think of a better person to to be on that plane though <laughs> <laughs> and you can't be screaming you have to just calmly follow the bleeding edge without screaming in this horrifying movie <laughs> right right if you scream then they'll try to then the others will try to get you off the plane which is no good right like you don't want people trying to get you off so you know <laughs> yeah, this analogy got really deep but i'm not sure it still holds but anywho <laughs> shall we move on to our next follow-up item yes yes i think we shall so last time i introduced you to the idea of a cake bowl yeah now, I need to ask, have you tasted a cake bowl yet? I sadly have not. I have not done this thing. <laughs> soon, soon is the plan. There has been much food in my life lately, so True. I have not needed it. Christmas season does bring a lot of sweets, so mm-hmm. this is understandable. But this is not the thing I want to follow up on. Okay. What I want to follow up on is I thought cake bowls was this just unique thing that my wife's family does. Mm-hmm. Or just like the small isolated group of people do. Yeah. But I actually found a company that specifically makes cake mixes for baking in mugs or microwaving in mugs. Hmm. Really? Yeah. It's a company called Shirley J, I believe. And their cake mixes are called Mugging, which I still think is a bad name, but... <laughs> M- mug- mugging? Yeah. Like... like- like beating someone up, put your hands mugging, st- yeah, stick them up. I'm I'm mugging you. I'm taking your money. Right, that's the name of their product. Mugging, is mugging but it's cake mixes made specifically for putting in mugs and baking. Oh, I get it because it's in a it's in a it's in a mug. I get it. Right, <laughs> like I get it, but I it still it. It still sounds bad. <laughs> it's still, <laughs> like I get it, and it's not good. Try again. It's like if you had a company that sells 
like wheelchairs that are electrically powered and calling it like electric chairs. Like it's still a bad name, even if it's descriptive and a joke. Like, <laughs> don't call it electric chairs. Like that's a bad title for your product. Anyways, right. point being, I'm glad to know that other people are aware of this possibility of cooking cake from box mixes in mugs and in bowls. Yes. So in bowls and in mugs, cooking it without the actual cooking part. I mean, like, you're still technically cooking it, but, like, come on. Like, a microwave, <laughs> microwave isn't really cooking stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'd say microwaving doesn't really count as you doing anything in the cooking part of this right. project. <laughs> you, best, you essentially pressed a button on a machine. Like, that doesn't qualify as right, cooking right. skills in my book. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's like you got to be able to use a griddle or an oven or something that actually cooks things and i know microwaves actually cook things but like actually cook things you know you know it doesn't it doesn't count it's like it's like an easy bake oven like that also doesn't count as baking or cooking like it's a nice start and it's a nice try but come on right get an oven anywho so if that gives you any more confidence in trying a cake bowl i just thought i want to let you know it does not give me any more confidence because I am fully confident in you, my friend. You're already 100% confident. Okay. That's good to know. Yes, yes. In, in you and your wife and, and the instructions that she sent, which were pretty much exactly what I asked for. So who, who am I to complain or think that you guys don't know what you're talking about? That was That was so descriptive and so helpful it's so easy so easy she was really confused when i asked her that <laughs> she's like you you put it in the microwave i'm like no this this is aaron you need to be no. fully <laughs> detailed on what and how much and when and see <laughs> and this is why i asked for a recipe in such detail because so many times I ask how to do something, and somebody's just like, put it in the microwave. I'm like, you don't understand how many missing variables there are to this equation. Like, you don't understand. Like, it's unsolvable as far as I can tell. Put it in the microwave. What microwave? What power setting? For how long? What do I put in the microwave? Do I just put the cake mix in the microwave? Do I put... Instructions are very, very necessary. So what I'm getting here is... If you are trying to cook something, I need to treat you essentially like a machine that has no previous knowledge of the matter. <laughs> Precisely. I have to completely reteach you how to cook for this one item. <laughs> you don't have to completely, but kind of, yeah, pretty much. Like, imagine you're explaining it to, yeah, that's perfect. Imagine you're explaining it to a computer and you just have to get the computer to do the one thing. Like, it, I just need all the directions to do it once. See, because if I do it once, then I can begin to understand what's going on. It's like chocolate chip cookies. Like, I made chocolate chip cookies once, and they were awful, and I hated them. But I had followed the recipe exactly, and so it was like, well, what did I do wrong? So, what I do is I take my chocolate chip cookies that were sad and flat and horrible. They weren't <laughs> horrible, they tasted alright, but they were sad and flat. And I take those cookies to my mother, and I say, mother, what did I do wrong? And then my mother is like... This is what you did wrong. <laughs> you didn't put enough flour in. And I'm like, but the recipe said to only put... And she's like, yes, but flour is is a finicky thing and you got to put just the right amount in and you can't and, right. and blah, 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 all the long... <laughs> I'm not going to give away all my mother's secrets on, on a podcast, so sorry, everybody. <laughs> but 
<laughs> but I, I just need I just need it once, just once, you know, just once, and then I can I can work with it after that. This is true. I do find the after cooking something once, it's a lot easier to explore what you want to change about the recipe. Mm-hmm. Exactly, like those horrible pineapple cookies. <laughs> horrible pineapple cookies. And now I'm ready. I'm ready. I've done the first step, which is make it exactly by the book. And I made it exactly by the book, and it was horrible. So it's time It's time to take matters into my own hands and actually try <laughs> something different. I'm excited. Let me know when you do the pineapple cookies again, because I'm curious what your thoughts are on your improved recipe when you make them. Okay, okay. I mean, I might make them better than ever, so <laughs> I'll send you the recipe if that happens. Okay. <laughs> Because it just still sounds like an interesting idea that I've never tried, so I'd be curious your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they seemed like a good idea until I made them, and they tasted like salt and <laughs> flour and not a hint of pineapple in the whole cookie. I was like, did you guys even try? Like, I put in exactly how much I was supposed to, and there's no pineapple in this cookie. Like, I don't know what I did wrong, but I did something wrong. They baked nicely, though. They were a nice texture and consistency. So that's a, that's a good, that's, see, that's a jumping off point. That's good. But I digress. We can't talk about baking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it It is sad to think about how much food comes up on this podcast well, <laughs> during the, the number of episodes we've done. Specifically I, uh, sweets. I mean... Candy and baking. Yeah. And, yeah. And, That's because I'm a sucker for baked goods. <laughs> oh. It's all good. It's all good. It adds variety. Otherwise, we'd only be talking about computers. Right, that's yeah. the only thing yeah, I bring sure, to the table. Sure. <laughs> but <laughs> you're like, I teach, and I do computers. These are my things, <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy, I do baking sometimes when I feel like it. With that being said, that I don't ever bring anything to the table. I'm still hogging all the follow up <laughs> right now because <laughs> I got another one. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm ready. Hit me. So remember last time we talked about that problem of if you printed a book on the road like you would do the road words mm-hmm. how long how long would you need yeah yeah and it was interesting i put the calculation on the show notes for the last episode and the correct answer is about like a 40 hour drive i can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head but essentially you'd have to drive down the coast of oregon washington california all the way along the West Coast, and then mm-hmm. back to read this book. Okay. But my initial calculation was only like seven hours. Whoa, why? And I was really confused because I'm like, how is this possible? Like, what did I mess up? Right. And I realized I was taking the standard distance between road words, and it ends up being about five-ish feet, depending on where you're at. It turns out there's not actually a standard, but they're around okay. five feet. Surprise! <laughs> And I didn't realize it, but I was doing that because the standard changes based on the speed you're going. So I was doing like the school zone standard, okay, like stop ahead type spacing. And if you're going 65 or 70 miles per hour down the freeway, you're not going to see those words when they're zooming past you. At five feet apart, because your your words per <laughs> right. minute I calculated would be something like two thousand words per minute or something ridiculous Whoa, when you're going that amazing. fast. Because you're just zooming yeah. across them, you're not gonna see them, and so that's why my calculation was so small. Because reading War and Peace mm-hmm. with 
<laughs> 2,000 words per minute, yeah, it would probably take you <laughs> only seven hours. But you're only also just flying <laughs> across the road. <laughs> I imagine your attention would be really bad. Right, right. You can't even see the words as they're flying. Right. That makes perfect sense. Like, if you take the same equation and you adjust it for time... You just adjust it for having to slow down, then it's probably still the same amount of time of like forty-seven hours. Yeah, of drive time still. Yeah, so it's and that's why I did is I just tried to get a good measure for how far the words would have to be, which is pretty far. They'd have mm-hmm. to be about twenty or thirty feet apart in order to actually read each word as you're flying through. Really, you don't realize how far you travel in a second on a road. Yeah, that's fair. Most people's reading speeds about, it's usually under 200 words per minute. Okay. So even in a second, you'd read two or three words. So if you think about that, 60 miles per hour for one second, you're traveling pretty far on the road between those three words. Oh, yeah. You know, so. Anywho, it's just interesting because I just remember doing it and going, why is my calculation so off? And then I realized this <laughs> words per minute is important on this problem. Right, right. I was I was listening back to that section when you released it, and I couldn't help but feel so delighted, and I still feel exactly the same way that I felt when I when I whatever words I said about how it's just nonsense to have them the wrong way around for when there's only two words. But I just I'm just happy we talked about it. And I'm happy we're still talking about <laughs> it because it brings me delight and joy to to talk about this subject in particular. <laughs> oh, good. Well. There you go, listeners. That's where the conversion comes from and where I got those numbers. So if you want to go back to the last show notes, you can see that calculation. Yes, you can and you should go back to the show notes <laughs> because it's it's comical to read those numbers. Yeah. I, th- I found it comical at least. <laughs> I got, again, another item of follow-up. I feel like I've been hogging essentially all of last episode and all of this episode. That's okay. No, don't have <laughs> Don't worry, because we're about to get into a problem is quite an item for me and one that I care deeply about. So I don't, I don't mind follow up, and I don't mind, I don't mind in the slightest your your great complaints with with this life that you live. <laughs> Aaron's just letting me feel like I have contribution to the show because in a moment he's <laughs> going to just take over for the next hour as he just expounds yes, his yes. knowledge and wisdom and opinions <laughs> opinions mostly opinions mostly skewed opinions but yes yes i will expound many opinions upon all of you so my last follow up item first of all let me ask you this are you on disney plus right now i i am we we got a free 1 year membership with my sister in law for her phone service or whatever gave it to us. So oh, nice. We're currently on the Disney Plus on episode... Well, we just finished episode three of The Mandalorian. So, like, life is good. Good. So, some people think the most important show on Disney Plus is The Mandalorian. Or perhaps the Imagineering story. Or the Jeff Goldblum show. <sighs> okay, yeah. But in reality, mm-hmm. the most important show on Disney Plus... Is the fact that the Hercules TV show is on there that I was complaining about way back when that Disney had been hiding it from me for years and now it's finally 
pack in my hands so I can watch it. Mm-hmm. You can wa- you can binge watch it all, my friend. Yes, it made me very happy. <laughs> that was one of the that was one of the first things we checked when we got Disney Plus. I forgot to tell you earlier, <laughs> but we really that was the first thing we were checking for. It was like, ah, great, there's all this stuff, but we gotta see. We we're, were scrolling through everything. I'm like, hmm, it must be here somewhere. And then like just like on one of the front pages with the the tiles or whatever, it was just like. Ah, there it is. Excellent. <laughs> I'm sure David will be pleased. <laughs> I'm glad you searched for me. That makes me happy. Thank you, my friend. Like, of course, you had my back on that. I appreciate that. Yes, yes. I cannot. <laughs> I do not want to see your your childhood happiness fall into into uh, fall into the nether of your mind. Like, I don't want these things. I want you to be happy in the moment and now and forever. Well, thank you. And this this is a way that you can be happy forever. <laughs> it's just watching this show. I really appreciate that. <laughs> that being said, though, as you are aware, the first thing I did when I got on Disney Plus was the exact same thing you did. And I started scounging <laughs> yeah. for episodes of old TV shows. And I was very happy that like every TV show I could think of from my childhood from Disney was on there pretty mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. And so they had Smart Guy and Hercules. And gargoyles and just all the classics. However, I still have a slight twinge of fear inside of me. Okay. Why's that? I still feel concerned that someday Disney will be cruel and yet again pull these shows off of Disney <laughs> Plus for some reason. Take them into the vault, bring right. them back. Like some cruel master that gives them gifts only to bring them back at their will. You know, (laughs) I just don't know. (laughs) I just don't feel secure. I just want a permanent knowledge that these shows are in my hands again. But I don't quite know. I feel like I'm getting led on to have them only taken away again from me. Right. Right. Well, like, I agree because the only ways that I can think of are illegal ways to to keep them forever. So, you know... (laughs) I can't recommend any of those ways, but they exist, so... Right. I I hope that they do not steal these things away from you. They have so graciously given them back, and I hope hope that it remains forever so that you can show your children, and your children can show their children. (laughs) I guess we'll just have to see how benevolent Disney is. (laughs) But that, that day, they pull those back again will not be a day that I will remain silent on this matter. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Disney must be stopped in their ways if they continue this Disney vault nonsense they keep pulling on me. So Indeed. Okay, I agree. And we will rise. We will raise the followers and listeners of this show. And we will crush Disney. <laughs> okay, when that happens. Don't you worry, David. We'll be there. So really, this show is just like a preparation for that day, kind of like an apocalypse type moment where we have to be prepared for when they pull it back so that we can march forth and reclaim what is rightfully ours, (laughs) being able to watch what we want. (laughs) All this show is, is a tool to help you and I get the world how we want it. That's that's all that this show is. <laughs> Raising an army of loyal followers <laughs> to crush the might of Disney. That's all so that we can have life just the way we want it. And and so, you know, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what this show is. And I, I, I'm not too sad about it. <laughs> well, hopefully our listeners agree. 
in case you weren't aware, you've been enrolled and enlisted in our army for future days. <laughs> That's part of the agreement when you listen to this show. <laughs> Read yeah, the terms. Yeah. Well, I mean, the terms, <laughs> ter- terms and it's conditions there. may probably apply. So, like, be careful. <laughs> to introduce our next topic... To be honest, I can't think of a better thing for two men in their 20s to talk about on a podcast than this topic. (laughs) (laughs) And I, of course, speak about the mysteries of Frozen and Frozen 2, the movies. Indeed. Yes, yes. I'm so excited. I never thought we were going to do a Frozen episode, but here we are doing a Frozen (laughs) episode, and I'm so excited. Can I give you my first visual that this was going to occur? Yes. Like the first time I realized we were going to have this discussion on this podcast? Yes, do tell. So you and I went to go see another movie, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't that good. There's not much to talk about. It was Mayday, for those that are interested. It yeah. wasn't. Midway, yeah. Or, yeah, that's right. Midway, not Mayday. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, how good yeah. it was. I can't even remember <laughs> <Yeah>. the title. <laughs> it was really, really, really not that good show. So, you know. <laughs> so, the best part of the whole movie was actually watching Aaron watching the trailers before the movie. Mm-hmm. <gasps> uh-huh. And so, for those of you that don't know which probably is most of you, I don't (laughs) like Frozen that much. And we'll explain why in a bit. And so the trailer for Frozen 2 came up on the screen. And Aaron puts his hands in his face, covers his eyes and leans on his knees, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, good. He's he's sighing in just (laughs) horror at the realization they're making another Frozen movie. And so he feels the same way I do. You just can't stand that they're uh-huh. making another Frozen movie. But <laughs> then I realized afterwards you were covering your eyes because you didn't want to get any spoilers about the movie. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that you actually quite like this movie. And so at that I moment, quite like... I knew we were going to have this discussion. <laughs> well, I'm glad... I'm glad that you knew and I'm glad it has come to this. I'm just kind of I'm just kind of a picky person sometimes about some things. Like like sometimes like if I'm really excited for a movie, my goal is to not have any trailers cuz like I'm kind of I'm kind of strict when it comes to spoilers for movies that I'm really excited about. Movies that I'm not excited about, meh, whatever, it's fine. Although sometimes I still try to avoid them cuz Movies are better when you know less about them usually going into it. There's there's some clear examples from my life that are not that way, but usually it's better that way. So that's why I did all those things. And now we're going to talk about Frozen, and I'm so excited. Because then we saw, I I went and saw it with my wife after that twice. And so it'll be really good. I'm really excited. (laughs) This will definitely be interesting, to say the least, (laughs) as we have this discussion. Oh, spoilers ahead. So, everyone, like, from this moment on, if you're still listening, spoilers. Just a heads up. Yeah, and it's probably going to take the rest of the episode to talk about this, given the amount of differences in opinions that I think Aaron and I have. So, just stop right there. Come back to the episode later. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you haven't seen the movie yes, yet. Guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. Go watch it. It's yeah. Go watch it. <laughs> so where should we start? Should we start with your why you like Frozen so much or why I don't like Frozen so much? <laughs> I <laughs> Should we start with the bad or the good? I don't know. I I I think I think I think it'll take shape, but if we're just if we just need a place to start, I I'm gonna start with my whole spiel because I always have a whole spiel whenever I have to talk about Frozen with anyone. Okay. Because I'm not the craziest candidate for liking Frozen, <laughs> but you're not a seven year old you. girl, so you are an unlikely candidate. Right. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I am not. I am not the prime audience. And so I always have this spiel that I have to go through. So my spiel starts way back when, back with the first Frozen movie. I had seen one teaser trailer for it with the snowman and the reindeer. And that was it. That's all I had seen about it. And it looked, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this looks so stupid. Right. I, can, I can't even be bothered by this nonsense and silliness and it's just another disney movie and i'm just not excited about it especially doubly because i was in high school so like high school me was a little bit less oh that's weird to think about disney but yeah that totally would have been when you were in high school sorry i had a bachelor's degree by then so <laughs> anyways continue <laughs> <laughs> i was highly successful in my life by that point but do carry on do carry on <laughs> So I was going through a little bit of a rough patch when the movie actually came out. It was kind of a downtime in my life. I was just not feeling great about stuff. I'd been talking with my friend about it, and she was like, a couple of days later, she was like, hey, I'm going out to go see a movie with some friends. Do you want to come? And I was like, well, what movie? And she was like, Frozen. And I was like, I guess. <laughs> Because I was already, like, feeling pretty bad. And all I had seen is that it was some dumb Disney movie. So I was like, ah, whatever. We'll just go see it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then, okay. And then the stars aligned. And I saw that movie. And it, like, it like made life better. It made me happy. It just is, like, I don't know, this ray of beautiful, bright light in this very dim, boring, lame time. And so instilled in, I walked out of that theater so like pumped, and I loved the movie. I loved every second of it. Like, there's no part of the of it that I don't love. And well, there might be one or two parts, but I loved it. And then, and then, and then, like the whole like world blew up about Frozen. And from then, I, I kind of I tried to take a back seat and just like not talk about it because like <laughs> I love this thing, but many of my peers have this feeling of disdain for this movie because everyone's talking about it and it's so not that great as everyone made it out to be. And it's like you're a secret member of a cult that you don't want people to know. <laughs> kind, yeah, kind. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like I have an unpopular opinion about this topic. So, uh, oof, oof. <laughs> Look for the secret symbol on the under part of the elbow that shows that they're a <laughs> Frozen member. <laughs> exactly. 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 So it's, it's this very, it's very much like a, like anyone who wants to talk to, you, you have to know this going into this and all the audience members should probably know this. It's like anyone who wants to talk to me about Frozen, they have to know that they will lose 
<laughs> if they have a differing opinion than mine. Not like that I will crush them, but like their opinion does not hold very much, uh, not even not very much weight, but like you're battling something that is, that is like unmovable. Yes, exactly. 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 So it's like, I'm happy to talk about it with many people, but and that, I'm happy to talk about it with you, but just a heads up. I don't think anyone's going to change my mind ever <laughs> about that movie. It was great, and I loved it. Okay. So that's my spiel, and that seems like a good place to start. That is very interesting, because I had the exact opposite experience with Frozen. What? Because what happened is, when it came out, I was living in Australia at the time. Okay. And I just never really had time to go see it, and even if I could, I I mean, I was by myself in my 20s like i want to go by myself to go see frozen you know it just is a weird thing to do <laughs> right right anyway so after i uh came back to the states and everyone's like oh you haven't seen frozen yet you gotta see frozen mm-hmm. and everyone has had just talked about it, and i really enjoyed tangled i thought that was a really good movie and yeah it reminded me a lot of like the earlier disney movies like hercules and mulan and beauty and the beast etc yeah yeah okay and so i had kind of your experience with tangled mm. i was like oh like disney's finally making good movies again like it just made me happy and like i really just enjoy tangled i think it's a good movie and so everyone's like oh you gotta see frozen you gotta see frozen it's the best movie way better than tangled and so everyone pumped it up as a super <laughs> amazing movie and then i just like watched it with my family one time and i was like yeah like it's okay and so whenever i say that people just like throw rocks at me especially in my family because most of my (laughs) siblings have little kids and stuff and i think to them they really enjoy it because their little kids really enjoy it Mm -hmm. and so i just get like ostracized every time i say that i don't like frozen and so oh man so i guess in that sense i'm the inverse of you with respect to frozen yeah Exactly. This is exactly the thing that happened to so many of my friends and and so many people. Here's the thing. Okay, like, spoilers. Spoilers are bad, right? And, like, obviously, like, the huge plot twists. Yes, those are spoilers. And everyone (laughs) knows that they're spoilers. Right. But sometimes, you know what's a spoiler? Is your opinion. Your opinion might be a spoiler for the movie. It's like, oh, you loved it? Maybe you should keep your mouth shut and just recommend people see it. Instead of being like, I love it. Right. Maybe you should think <laughs> twice before bigging up the movie that that you really loved uh, before sending someone to go see it, and then and, and then surprise, it's not a magical experience for them because that they're expecting a magical experience, you know? Uh, yeah. David, I'm so sad. <laughs> like, I'm so sad. I'm not even. I'm not. I'm not even grumpy. Like, this is like this. These these are the grounds that I think many people do dislike frozen for and i think it's very sad i think people who really liked frozen i don't know if i did this or not but i think people who really liked frozen and if you really like a movie in the future you shouldn't say too much because if you say too much you ruin it you can ruin it for other people right i think too well like you said if you had that experience with frozen either way Mm frozen is one of those movies that kind of locks you in place because once you hate it or once you like it, because there's so many opinions one way or the other, you mm-hmm. kind of get s- secluded into this group of haters or likers, and it's really hard to jump over. Like, I've watched Frozen multiple times now with my nieces and nephews, and I still watch it and still go, 
no, like I still don't like it, but I think it's just because of that initial bias that I had, and people keep telling me that I don't that I should like it, and I'm like, no, I don't want to like it because you keep telling me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's just always right, mentally right. in the back of my head. I just can't undo that anymore. Hmm. So you could say your opinion is frozen. that's really funny oh man oh dear man oh that's good i like that and that is so strange but like i have no grounds to disagree with you like i don't know if that's true for lots of things but i have no grounds to disagree with your theory on this one like it sounds pretty much how it is because I still watch Frozen, and I still get all the all the same like excited feelings that I got when I first saw it. And so it's just, oh, that that might be the saddest thing about this whole this whole show that that ever has come up is that it's like David's opinion of Frozen is Frozen. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, my friend, but I never thought I could like a sequel to Frozen. And I actually kind of did. <gasps> so I think we should start really? talking about Frozen 2. Oh, uh, okay, okay. I can do this. I, I can do this. Okay, okay, okay. I want... Skipping, skipping Frozen. Sorry, did you have more thoughts about Frozen or... I have infinite thoughts about Frozen, so... I think talk. I think talking about Frozen 2 will bring up more thoughts about Frozen, if that's okay. Okay, okay. No, that sounds good. That sounds, that sounds, sounds good to me. So first of all, I want your... Just overall opinion. Did you like Frozen 2? Did I like Frozen 2? Okay, so so it, it uh, yes. Overall, yes. It took me twice. I had to watch it twice before I truly liked it. Because the first time, it wasn't Frozen again. Right. Which made me kind of resent it for some strange unknown reason you know who can understand the emotions of man i don't know but (laughs) but i resented it it didn't give you that same experience that you had with the first one exactly exactly and so when i saw it the second time i had reached a point of forgiveness where i forgave it for not being the first movie again right it didn't happen it didn't do the first movie and since it wasn't the first movie and i forgave it the second time it was actually quite a magical experience I quite liked it. <laughs> oh, good. So, so wait, what are your? Th- what, how did you like it? So I liked it more than Frozen One. But let me let me be clear. Okay. There's there's two things going on here. There's me liking it, mm-hmm. and there's me realizing it's a good movie, cinematography wise. Okay. Like in the general scope of things. So on the scale of things, I put Tangled number one in both categories. I thought Tangled had the best cinematography, and I liked it the most. Interesting. Okay. I put Frozen next, like really close cinematography-wise, mm-hmm. but I didn't like Frozen. So there's a big discrepancy there. Yeah. Between how much... I recognize it, it has all the features of a good movie, but I did not enjoy it because of that bias that we talked about. Right, right. But then Frozen 2 has the inverse problem. I liked Frozen 2 a lot because it wasn't Frozen 1. <laughs> but I recognize that it's got a lot of crappy cinematography things that I didn't like about it. Really? That in general makes it a worse movie than Frozen 1, but that doesn't change that I liked it more. Interesting. Interesting. Ooh, this is interesting. Ooh, I can't <laughs> wait to pick your brain on this whole thing. Man, if I even knew how. Goodness. 
So can I give you some justification why? Um, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. So first of all, you have to recognize I'm coming from the other side now. Right, right. You and I are starting from two different positions. Now you have super high expectations for Frozen, or Frozen 2, and now I have no expectations for Frozen 2. So we just switched spots. Indeed, indeed. And so I go to see Frozen 2 expecting nothing, and I go, hey, that's a pretty good movie. Yeah, <laughs> and right. So, but like you said, you had to forgive it for not being Frozen 1. Right. Whereas I didn't have to at all because I didn't like Frozen. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, thank goodness it's not the first one again. So overall, I think I'd give it two main reasons that I liked it more. Okay. The first real reason being expectation, right? I was expecting nothing, so I liked it more. Right. But the two other reasons I would say is I liked the relatability more in Frozen 2 than in Frozen 1. Okay. My relatability to the characters. Yeah. Because maybe this is because the characters are already established, but I felt like I could connect with Anna and Elsa and Kristoff more at this point. Yeah. Maybe too, because I'm recently married. And so when Kristoff is trying to propose to Anna multiple <laughs> times, spoiler, right? Yeah, yeah. And he keeps messing up. Like I, I could relate to that. It was funny. I enjoyed those moments. Uh-huh. Whereas in the first one, Kristoff's a guy that talks to reindeer. And lives by himself in the woods and was raised by trolls. I can't. (laughs) There's no connection I can make to someone that has that experience in life that I can relate to. Okay, yeah. There's there's no bridge there. Likewise with Elsa. She has all these amazing gifts, but she, like, gets locked in her room in the first one and can't (laughs) learn to control her powers. And she has all these weird confidence and anxiety issues that she's dealing with. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just, I've never had that problem because my parents were always people that like, oh, like, just go figure it out. You know, you have a problem, like, go fix it. And like, I just naturally have more confidence in myself than that. So I can't connect there. And then with Anna, like, she tries to marry someone after knowing them for one day in the first one. Mm -hmm. But in like the second one, she's trying to deal with Elsa that is really bad at charades and is trying to guess everything, even though her sister can't do charades. Like, oh, like that's man, she's so bad at charades. <laughs> but you know, in the second one, they just felt more like regular people, mm-hmm. and I just could connect with them more. I felt their emotions more. In the first one, they're so disparate from people I know or any characteristics I have or things I relate to mm-hmm. that I couldn't play off the emotion in Frozen One, and I could in Number Two. Okay. So okay, I I your thoughts. <laughs> I I don't even know how to say what I mean, but that's a hundred percent one of the things that I noticed with the second movie was that it felt like the problems and the things that were happening. Mostly, I noticed the problems that they were dealing with were so much more grown up in nature, like right. like so much more adult as a of a problem. Because I agree hundred percent. Like it's not very like. The problems that they're dealing with in the first one, not 100% very relatable. Like, it's just, they're just, it's just not for people, I don't know, for, for you and I, I, I would guess. Because, like, we're just, it's just, I'm really scared to say words. Because, like, what if I say the wrong words? But. <laughs> this is your cherished Frozen. You can't mess up your descriptions, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't want anyone getting the wrong idea. But I agree. And that's something that makes it. Better, and I'm glad that you liked that, and I and I'm glad that actually really I'm glad that that meant something, and that (laughs) that it was like meaningful to you. Like that's like really cool. I don't know for me. I don't even know if that's the word that I mean. But like, 
I like that. And I'm <laughs> glad that that's, that's one of the things, one of the reasons you liked it. Like, it makes me happy. So what's the second reason? To be fair, though, we're not the target audience either. So little girls are probably scared more of things like not being accepted and not being or being afraid of ice and not getting along with her sister. You know, that's something a seven-year-old girl gets <laughs> right, yeah. more than I do. So I can understand why they played that in Frozen. World. Right, right. But yes, to your point, overall, there's a lot more just regular everyday type adult-like themes that grown-ups right. deal with every day than in Frozen 1. Yeah, no, 100%, because I just had this had this realization while you were talking. It's like, what's the main problem? Like, what's one of the main things that's faced in Frozen 2? Like, the main thing that's faced is change and how change affects people and how, and how you have to learn to deal with, with change as it happens because it does happen. Right. Whereas in the first movie, the main problem was accepting yourself and one of the main problems was was being okay with who you are and learning how to how to love that and how to use that to help other people right rather than hating yourself and distancing yourself from people right and you are a hundred percent not the person that i would recommend the first (laughs) movie to (laughs) for that reason that makes perfect sense now because it's like duh I don't know a dude more confident than David. Like he's so confident in everything that he does. Like he makes me confident in what I do. Like he doesn't need this, but change is relatable because it's something that we're constantly dealing with, especially with, like you said, it's, we're in a time in our lives where life is changing a lot and it feels like it's changing a lot. Right. So that's a good point. Hopefully, hopefully my confidence doesn't come off as arrogance as you're describing this. No, (laughs) I can't think of a more confident person than David, man. He is super confident. (laughs) That's everybody knows. Right, right. (laughs) No, no, Uh, it, it definitely does not. It just, it has always struck me from when we first met that you were so, you cared so little about what other people thought, and I—that is true. I think that's a highly <laughs> admirable trait in you, my friend. Well, thank you. Second thing. Second what's thing. What's the second reason you liked it? The second thing is this is going a little bit deeper. Okay. But I appreciated the canonization of the movie. Um, okay. And to clarify what that means. Yeah, I was gonna say, please <laughs> explain to the unlearned man me. What this means. (laughs) So compare this again to Tangled. Okay. In Tangled, the entire canonization of the movie occurs in the premise. It's Flynn Rider. He's talking about how there's a magic flower that the mother eats and it heals her. And thus her child can heal others with her hair when she sings that song. Right? Right. You don't need any other information than that to understand how this story came about. Yeah. But in Frozen 1, there's all sorts of kind of loose ends, you could say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Such as, why does Elsa have powers in the first place? Why do trolls live in the mountains that roll around? And why (laughs) do... Even things like, why do they need ice in the city if the city is usually pretty cold, like they, there's all these ice people in the mountains. Like, what are they even getting the ice for? Like, yeah. <laughs> just little things like that. There's lots of weird side storylines that aren't really ever explained. And not that, not that everything needs to be explained, but they're given no source or 
necessary like reason. Right, right. The movie expects you to just accept it. Like to it's just it's just part of the premise and they're just like please just go along with this thing and as long as you go along with it it makes the movie better. But there's no answer really. Right. And that's not necessarily a terrible thing, but just in my mind I find that the less canonization that you do kind of putting the solid foundation that your story is on. I'm one of those people that's not very willing to accept things for face value. And so the more you play tricks like that, the more I find I don't like that movie. Okay. But in comparison, Frozen 2 goes to answer all those questions. Why does Elsa have her powers? Why are things the way they are? And so they go and try to establish this origin story, essentially, of their parents, why she has abilities, who these different people are. Mm -hmm. And kind of solidify the story, the full story, the canon of what these people are and why this story exists. Right. And to me, I just really like that aspect of the movie because it goes and explains everything I had questions about in Frozen 1. Okay. That's, I mean, that's perfect. That's, I I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) I never heard it put that way. It's beautiful. The way you say things makes me realize (laughs) that I agree. And that's one thing that I was thinking, but not consciously. (laughs) Was it like, yeah, it actually does handle the story that it was given really well. Because usually when I see a second movie coming out, I usually assume that unless it was like destined, like unless I knew that it was coming out or that it had more parts to, I usually just kind of assume that it's just, more story that was already wrapped up just a money grabber let's write another story connect to this one and hope we can pull out something that works exactly exactly here's some dlc hope <laughs> hope we get a couple extra bucks um i'm looking at uea D- dls downloadable story <laughs> oh, i hate it i hate it and so f- for that reason a lot of times the story lacks in in second movies i feel like it just right. kind of it falls a little bit flat because it's not part it doesn't feel like it belongs. It was an afterthought. Right. And counter to that is something like the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Oh, yeah. Where the story is actually defined before they started the, the first movie. They've, it seems obvious that there's at least some story that connects all three of these before they even start making the movie. Right. It's like you have to start somewhere and in three movies get somewhere. And that's exactly what they did. And so it's it's highly impressive that they did so well with this movie because I was really worried about it. I was really worried that they were just going to botch the whole thing because they're really bad at <laughs> yeah. sometimes movies are really bad at botching my happy stories that came along. But they they handled it really well and they pulled in so many elements from the first movie that it like I don't know they pieced it together in such a way that it looks like it it was part of the story to start with. Right. It doesn't look like an add-on. It looks like it always was there, and now you can finally see it. It's true. They did a really good job of not making it feel like an afterthought. Like they had this story in their minds the whole time when they made Fresno 1. Which they probably didn't, given that it came out five years later, but they they seemed that really well. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just being just being cynical, like I have to have a, a much better reason than, oh, we're making a second movie to believe that they had more story in mind. You know? Right. So can I bring up another point that I think will bring up some reasons why Frozen 1 was good? (laughs) I'm willing to admit on the cinematography side why Frozen 1 was good. Okay, I like this. I like Mm -hmm. The main problem I found with this movie is unlike Frozen 1, where they stuck entirely to their target audience, right? 
Mm-hmm. This one had a huge issue of jumping back and forth from like super meaningful and thought provoking adult themes mm-hmm. to little kid silly things mm-hmm. so that little kids will laugh at the movie. You're jumping from Anna and Elsa trying to understand the origin story of their parents to Olaf running away from boulders and rocks and laughing at force fields and all sorts of ridiculous stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so from a cinematography standpoint, I don't feel like they did a very good job of making it seem like one coherent story. It felt like I was jumping into a story and then out to like a Christmas special. Back and forth and back and forth Hmm. and back and forth. Okay, yeah. Because they were trying to play both audiences the whole time and it just didn't work well with the story that they had. Right. Again, now that you say it, (laughs) I see it. And I'm like, huh, you're right. That didn't bother me, but you're right. Like, they did do that a lot. And that bothers me a lot in a lot of movies. (laughs) Like, in a lot of movies, that really deeply bothers me. When there's, like, there's, like, the obvious comedy relief. Like, uh, Planet of the Apes 3, uh, what's that called? Um, Oh, I know what you're talking about. War for the Planet of the Apes. Right, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that. There's the one monkey in the whole thing that's, like, the comedy relief like his job is to bear the entire comedy of the whole movie right and that's one of those moments where i'm like why didn't you just roll with like like why didn't you like how come you didn't <sighs> yeah it it feels exactly like what you're talking about like it just felt disconnected from the rest of the story yeah yeah it, it felt like like what do you mean like this is not this is not a place for some silly monkey to be messing around like for the first two movies as well like it just the problems are so big and it's so serious it take like the movie is very right. serious and it takes itself very seriously to have such obvious comedy relief just really stings because they do it really well in a lot of movies of tying it in really well Mm -hmm. and that was honestly i i thought frozen did a frozen 2 did a pretty good job of that because the characters were established right that's one reason i didn't like frozen 1 was actually because like obviously there's this snowman and he's obviously the comedy relief for the movie and it fell really flat for me when i watched it because it was just like this isn't like like why is there this stupid snowman but going into frozen 2 the snowman already exists and i know he's stupid and ridiculous <laughs> and therefore like i'm expecting the same and because i was expecting the same i actually found him a lot funnier in frozen 2 like i i actually enjoyed his character a lot more in frozen 2 really yeah interesting a, a lot more i <laughs> I tolerated him more in the first one, actually. Really? I thought it was really ridiculous in the second one. What? I uh... because because of this exact point, though, that I felt like he had a little bit more connection in the first one. Not a lot. He was still obviously the comedy relief. Yeah. But in this second one, I felt like he was primarily just there for the kids. Like he had no real connection to the the deep storylines. I mean, he had some good lines, but overall, his character is not important to the overall progression of the story. So he just kind of acted as this conduit for the kids' stuff in the second one. That's that's fair. That's that is fair because that is true. He didn't. He doesn't ever really advance the story to my to my remembrance. But, okay, counter thought, and I want to hear your your thoughts on this. Um, (laughs) Okay. It's almost like he's there so that the kids can understand the harder problems in some meaningful way. Hmm. Like... And I don't know if this is true. I'm I'm just, this is, this is, this is, at this point, this is brainstorming. So I don't know if this is true, but it's like his character in the second one, like the reason I liked him a lot more was because he's like, he's growing up and he's learning to be a grown up. 
That, that was always that was his thing at the very beginning of the film, at least. Right. And kind of throughout the film, that's kind of his mo is is like growing up, and he's trying to understand how how people actually deal with life, which is very much what kids need to do and have to do is they have to understand what's going on with life and how to how to deal with the problems that they face in life. And so it's like him trying to be grown up and trying to understand what things that grown ups seem to understand is is kind of his role tying the kids still into the movie so that they don't get bored. Which to be fair is is still just like obvious silliness in a in an otherwise very serious movie, which usually bothers me, which I usually agree with. That that's a good point. I think though you could have rewritten the script in a way that the storyline is more connected to Olaf. I don't know. It's hard to say because I'm not a five-year-old kid trying to understand this movie, right? <laughs> right, right. I can talk all day about the philosophical nature of what Olaf's doing, but to a little <laughs> kid, it's probably still just, oh, Olaf's funny. He's the snowman guy. Yeah. You know? He's acting silly. Right, yeah. Well, and I don't know, doubly, it, it kind of felt like, it felt like looking back, like when Olaf would do things, it, it feels like looking at kids. Like, that's how it felt like to me, at least when I'm, now that I'm overanalyzing everything. Um, <laughs> it, it's like looking at little kids and they're, and he's going through his song of like, someday this will all make sense. When I'm older, this will all make sense. And as an adult, that was, that was deeply funny because it's like, I don't think it ever will make sense. Like some things just don't make sense. But he believes that that people who are more experienced than him understand it when really they right. they also don't know. Well, I also think now that you bring this up, kind of throwing another counterpoint. Okay. I think because there was so many things that the kids probably didn't understand or or difficult to understand. Yeah. I think Olaf gives them kind of something that they can feel like they know more than. Because the whole point of that song for my point of view the someday i'll understand yeah it was that even the little kids understand that fire and boulders are bad and all these things that were trying to kill them basically are bad yeah and so to them the kids are like oh like i'm smarter than olaf i understand these things even though for the rest of the movie there's a lot of things they probably missed olaf kind of acts as the thing they were still not better than but they were older than or more mature than was olaf right right and so it gave the kids kind of something to feel like they were on top of i don't know <laughs> No, see, I like that. That's actually, I like that. I think that's a really interesting thought and and perspective to take on it. Because, like, I could see that. I could see that 100%. Like, because it, it does feel good to know that you, you know th- more things than some people. I don't even know how to say this. Like, like you're smarter. Like, you are smart. <laughs> and you do know what you're doing at some times. And it's good to have that confirmed. Like, that feels nice to have that confirmed. Whenever you're like... Whenever I go to a job site and see cabinets and go, oh my gosh, these cabinets are atrocious. They didn't even level the thing. Like, did they even try? Man, I do really good cabinets. And it's like kind of a nice feeling to know like, okay, yeah, I actually do make nice cabinetry. Like, this is some of the nicest stuff that you can get. And I'm not just worse than, I'm not as bad as I could be. And that's kind of, like, that's almost a valuable thing that, that kids might experience when they watch this movie. I don't know. You know, I, I think maybe just a, a softer way of saying that is it, maybe Olaf made the kids feel like they weren't so lost in a mm. hard to follow storyline. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good, David. That was a, <laughs> that's the perfect way to say it. As far as I'm concerned, that was that that is Olaf's role in the movie. 
Because he really didn't have much to do with the actual story. Right. He doesn't drive any of it, really. Hmm. So. Okay, okay. I should have known that we'd talk a lot about Olaf, because cause <laughs> I, I should have known that, you know? <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, of course that's what we were going to talk about. Like, that, that is a, a key point that, that is very, I don't know, controversial in my mind. Right. Of like, I don't know how to feel about this character. <laughs> but definitely during the first movie, I found him really annoying. Like, deeply. I was just like, stop it. Like, just stop it. Even though his song really makes me... It really put a smile on my face the first time I heard it. His um his summer his song about summer. Right. <laughs> and and there's the one part where he's he's walking along and he's like singing about all the things he's gonna do and and like cuddling comes up and then he walks up to a puddle and he's like, In summer I'll be a and every time I'm like, a puddle. You'll be a puddle <laughs> and he's like, a happy snowman. I'm like, a puddle <laughs> and it just so I actually, I enjoyed his song from the first movie, but a lot of the things that he did in the first movie were very, like, distracting and unnecessary is what I felt. Right. But overall, though, I, I agree. I mean, I've never liked Olaf's character overall. <laughs> but <laughs> right. in the first movie, it feels more like one continuous stream of here's the storyline, here's the storyline. Whereas in this one, even though... I think they had good reason for it mm-hmm. now that we've talked about it more. Cinematography-wise, it's still hard because you're jumping back and forth between adults' understanding of the concept and kids' understanding of the concept. So doing that over and over makes things feel out of place, whereas they didn't feel out of place in the first one. Okay. It just felt like one good continuous storyline. Interesting. Okay. And I didn't sense any of that. So that's really that's really interesting that, that you that, that's one <laughs> thing that you noticed and that you, that you felt about the movie because I, I didn't I didn't sense that at all. Like I had no I had no awareness of that fact. <laughs> This might also just be a problem with me being super hyper analytical of movies because <laughs> that's what I like to do is analyze. But uh, I mean, that's good. That that can bring much enjoyment. It's it's all about what you choose to bring enjoyment. So so don't worry. Like I'm, <laughs> it's not that you should be worried about this thing. <laughs> I think it's I think it's good and nice that you have found this thing. And that you have pointed it out to me. <laughs> I have just one other thought. How many more thoughts do you have? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I wasn't kidding when I said I could talk for hours. But do tell me your, your thought. So I just have one more thing I want to bring up. Just because I'm curious. Okay. What did you think about Kristoff's 80s music video song that he sung? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so on one hand, so funny like very (laughs) deeply funny to me like hilarious the first time i watched it it was like really like kind of cringy and i was like oh my gosh why is this happening and like i thought it was funny and then he kept going and going and going and i was like oh my gosh please stop this is so cringy like stop (laughs) on the second watch through i actually enjoyed it a lot better i thought it was really funny and just really cleverly done and just like so like out of place it was just like this is really strange (laughs) so this goes exactly to my liking it more versus recognizing cinematography wise it wasn't as good right because of the scene right when i saw this i said the exact same you said this has no place in this movie (laughs) 
But because I've seen so many 80s music videos from my dad watching those videos all the time, I thought it was flipping hilarious because oh, yeah. they mimicked it so well. Yeah, like, But then at the same it. time, I'm like, this doesn't fit whatsoever in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Your two sides are warring against each other. You're like, this makes no sense. But you're like, but it's funny. <laughs> but it makes no sense. But it's funny. <laughs> right. I thought it was really cleverly cleverly done and really well done. And I think it incorporates people of people of our age and like up to forty, like anywhere from twenty to forty. Like it incorporates right. like it's like a, a little nod to those people who are watching it as like a little funny thing. I don't think a lot more of it. Right. But I think it is really cleverly placed and just very strange. <laughs> I loved it. Oh my gosh, it was so funny. The second time through, it really was a lot better. I, I really enjoyed it a lot more because I just, I just, the first time through, I was like, please let it end. Like, let <laughs> it end. Well, the interesting thing is, I think if I had your expectations going in, I would have not liked it too. Because I find when I have higher expectations for movies, my analytical side comes out more because I want them to match all these okay. established rules of cinematography, et cetera. Right, right. And so if I would have had high expectations and saw that scene, even if I knew it was funny, I don't think I would have enjoyed it because I would have gone, well, this doesn't fit the theme or the way they've done the other scenes and this seems out of place. Right, right. But because I had no expectations, <laughs> even though it broke every rule of <laughs> cinematography, essentially, I was like, oh, like this is hilarious. <laughs> You know? Right, right. Okay, I have a question for you then. Okay. I, I just, just questions on your thoughts on things. What did you think about the rock giants? I was a little confused why every other spirit had like a little animal or manifestation, like the gale and the little iguana dude and the horse. Yeah. But then like the rock giants all seemed to be the spirit. It was a little... That didn't quite settle well in my canonization theory. I was like, which one is the rock spirit, per se? Right, right. And why are they giant rock giants instead of some little animal of some kind, you know, or some manifestation? Right. I, no, that makes sense. Like, they don't, they don't seem to fit how the others are. You'd expect, like, one of those little rock trolls, like one right. of the little, tr little troll guys. Or maybe just one giant, but the fact there are multiple... That's fair. ...kind of seem strange to me. But again, that's super analyzing. Okay. What was your opinion? Oh my gosh. They could have screwed that up so bad. They could have like ruined those rock giants for me and they totally didn't. I loved it. Really? Because, okay, so here's my thought. I didn't think too hard on the fact that they were the, they were the rock spirit or the rock spirit or whatever. Like they are the existence, like they, they are the rock spirits, which is like, I didn't think too much about that. It was kind of I, it was one of those things that I just kind of gave it. I just gave the movie, gave the movie, you know. Right. I just accepted it. But okay, so so the first time you ever interact with the rock giants, they're at the camp at night and you just it just comes walking by and it almost sees Elsa and it's just very it has this I don't know, I don't even know how to put it, like this very <laughs> menacing presence and everyone's very afraid. Right. You know, everyone's very confused as to what it's doing too, because it's like this is not what they normally do. But it's obvious that like they're trying to steer clear. Right. The next time you interact with them is I mean, I think the next time you interact with them is at the river, right? I think so. Where like there's just these giants laying around, like so many rock giants just laying around sleeping. You're like, that's kind of, but they're never. <sighs> okay, so so at no point are they made to be. Aaron, Aaron, huh? 
I was going to say, I still can't, I still can't quite follow what's upsetting you about these giants. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Nothing's upsetting me. I'm really, I'm really excited because they're just there and they're really big and they're just like, okay, let's be really quiet and let's not wake up the giants. And they don't. And that's really good. And then the next time they interact with them, Anna goes to get them, to use them to break the dam. Right. And she wakes them up. And there's this moment where they're kind of like, the one stumbles over the other and wakes him up and he gets thrown against the rocks, against the cliff. And it's this moment, like, I don't know, they could have ruined it. And it almost, like, it walks this very fine line of, like, they do something that's kind of funny and kind of silly, almost seeming. Like, the one pushing the other around, you know, the one tripping and the other pushing him as giant clumsy rocks, you know. Right. But that was the closest they ever came to making the rock giants anything less than what they were, which for most of the movie was terrifying. Right. Because following that moment, Anna is chased by them. And there's that scene, that, that moment where, where the three of them are standing over the forest, just looking down, searching for Anna. And they're terrifying. Like, they're at no point are they funny because they're so big and so scary. And I don't know, like it's one of those things where they never became commonplace. Right. I, I have such a hard time explaining this. You you were afraid they become the the trolls of Harry Potter or just like the the goofy giant almost. Yeah, yeah. That they're they're so dumb that we can make jokes based on their dumbness type thing. Right, right. As a little bit of comedy relief or whatever. And that would have ruined their character as these giant like these immovable this immovable force, these mountains that walk around. And when they are when they're not grumpy, like it was obvious like like the one helps helps them up. Like it's they're super chill, like almost like like how you'd expect a mountain to be. Like it's not it's not mad that you're climbing it. It's not it's not grumpy that it's helping you get to your destination. It's just there. Right. And that's kind of the that's kind of the vibe that they give off. But at the beginning of the movie they're they're mad, just like the rest of the spirit. They're all very mad. But they are, I don't know, almost not easily appeased. Right. And kind of immovable. And just, I don't know, their character, the character of the Giants was just so well done. And I, uh, there's this feeling of dread and terror and, like, actually being afraid of them that I get that only comes from some things. One example was, uh, have you played Mass Effect? You haven't played the Mass Effect games, right? I haven't played Mass Effect. Okay. You don't care if I tell you about them no go ahead (laughs) okay sweet so in the first game there's these things that are coming called the reapers and at the end of the first game one of them finally shows up so there's this like building of like this terrifying force is coming and then one shows up and it's huge it's massive and it starts destroying things and it starts wrecking up the place and you you just you kill it you destroy it luckily in the nick of time whatever video game stuff and then they almost become commonplace later. These massive giant reapers, they, they, they become commonplace later. And that's one thing that I really appreciate that never happened with the rock giants was they never felt commonplace. They felt big and scary all the time. They, they always felt big. Hmm. And that's something that, I, that matters a lot to me when something doesn't lose that feeling of being big or meaningful. So interesting. So two things here. Okay. First of all, did you just compare Frozen to an M-rated video game? Because I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. I did. They're all. They're all. All things are connected. So yes, I did. I did. <laughs> and then the second thing is to be clear: your point isn't necessarily that not only are they just not goofy, mm-hmm. but they're also not frequently seen. Right. 
It's not something like, oh, there's another rock giant roaming around. Right. We see him every other scene, and they're they're so easy to avoid because you see him in every scene. That must be obvious and easy to maneuver around them. Exactly. Like, anytime you run into a rock giant, this is something that matters. Right. This is a big deal because... Right, yeah, no, that is that is perfect, and those are the two the two things that matter mattered a lot to me about the rock giants that I really I felt deeply appreciative that no one ruined them for me. I really liked that, and honestly, I really liked all the spirits. I thought they were all very well done and well put together. I just I, I don't know. I really they were really <laughs> good. I really liked them. I don't have very many complaints about any of them. <laughs> I mean, the first watch through, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's like. It's like a little, like, cute little salamander thing or whatever. But this is another thing that I really appreciated. Everyone stayed in character, it felt like. I have a hard time articulating this this problem as well. But, like, whenever the the animals act too human, it almost feels like they're breaking character, you know? It's like they're revealing that they're actually more intelligent than they are. No, not even that. It's like It's like that they're not the character that they originally were cast as. Hmm. You don't like Maximus, then, Entangled would be an example. He is a good example. That is the example that I was thinking of, because that is the most direct comparison I've seen, which is which is that, that chameleon and the lizard, the fire lizard in Frozen 2. They're very similar. Oh, you... <laughs> Maximus is the horse, but yes. Um, um, Maximus is the horse. No, I'm talking about the chameleon. Um, what's his name? Picasso or something. <laughs> Foo, I don't know. No, it's some artist. I'm trying to remember. Pascal, pa- or yeah, Pascal, right? Or Pastel? Something. Pascal, yeah, Pascal. something like that. <laughs> and I mean, Maximus, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so my theory is correct. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. He doesn't bother me as much. And like the reindeer don't bother me too bad. Like they don't, they don't really bother me at all. But like the little lizard in Tangled had very much a human feeling to it. You know, like it would do things that only humans do that's how humans interact not how animals interact you know it's like i don't even know it's like i'd have to watch it again to give you examples but the lizard the fire lizard the fire spirit in frozen 2 didn't do any of that he stayed in character and at no point was was he i don't know that's another thing that i felt like they could have ruined for me really easily but he shows intelligence but it's not it's not like he's doing things and making faces and doing hand signals like humans do he's just a little lizard you know he he acts like a little lizard and i really i appreciated that a lot <laughs> i will say unfortunately <laughs> the data disagrees with you <laughs> what <laughs> we may have to continue this discussion later but disney is actually very good at character with animals character yeah development with animals which is really hard to do right yeah and there's this whole line of cinematography understanding and study of what makes an animal relatable okay and they find that the most the worst thing you can do really is make an animal talk yeah if you have an animal talk that will be a very hard to relate to animal that's why all the Air Bud movies in the 90s were so bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was going to say they already tried all that with all their other movies and it didn't really work so good. <laughs> but if you take an animal, remove their voice, but in every other way make them allowed to have human characteristics in terms of hand signals. I think of Pascal and Maximus as great examples of this. Yeah. They're hilarious to you because they still seem like animals just enough because they can't talk. Right. But they experience 
display all human emotions through their actions. Through their right, that's and because they're restricted to that, then they become more clever and thus become more funny, which becomes more relatable. Well, <laughs> and that and like, but that makes sense. Like I agree almost. Like that's why I'm like, oh well, yeah, Maximus didn't really bother me. Like I wasn't bothered that the horse did things. I was only bothered by the lizard, and I don't know why. Now, now I don't know why. But oh, that's so interesting. That's really interesting because I find I I don't know. Maybe I don't find that annoying. Maybe I only appreciate it a lot because the lizard wasn't so much that the fire lizard wasn't that. Anyways, but what I'm trying to say is your know. opinion is crazy. No, just <laughs> you are not allowed to hold your opinion that you currently have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay, okay, got it. I will continue to hold it until you can dissuade me otherwise. Persuade me otherwise. <laughs> so, listeners, looking at the time, we've decided we need to go into a part two of this later on. I never thought we'd need to continue a discussion on the podcast about Frozen. <laughs> of all the things we could keep of talking about for longer yeah. and longer and longer. I never thought it'd be Frozen. Right, yeah. But I think there's some more points that need to be addressed. Agreed, agreed. Uh, we will we will continue this conversation because it is, oh, it's so exciting. So much fun. <laughs> I like talking about things that I like. This is fun. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it's also enjoyable for you, my friend. Indeed. And I do want to talk about animal stuff more because I'm still trying to understand your opinion on this. Okay, I'll try. I'll try. And, and wh- I, I want. I want to know why Maximus and Pascal are different in your mind. I'm trying to get that distinction. I'll watch Tangled again, and then I'll have more ideas because it's been a long time since I watched Tangled. It's been it's been several years, and so and so if I watch it again, then I'll have. I, I feel like I feel like Tangled is like the way I can communicate with you about Frozen. Like these two things, like these are the way we're going to communicate. So I have to go watch it now. I have to watch it. Or this else... is the bridge into our two worlds, yeah. so that we can be on the same plane exactly exactly well because i really like tangled too like that was a really great movie like i had tons of fun with it It was so much fun it's so funny oh my gosh laughing so much through that movie oh it's great so i'll go watch tangled and eat a cake bowl (laughs) and we'll we'll continue this discussion next time okay sounds good i'm excited